Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish up today talking to you about uh, what will you build, and so uh, our scripture is gonna be Second Corinthians, uh, ten, verse three through five, and uh, <coughs> real real quick the uh, you can see they put a lot of work into setting up all this stuff, and so I just want to thank everyone that helped again and uh, all the help that we're going to get. Right, all the help we're going to get this week uh, with the kids' uh, revival. And so it's going through Wednesday, and then next Wednesday we start our uh, connect groups back, and uh, Sister Cora is going to be uh, teaching um, the women, and uh, Brian is going to be working with the men this time, and then uh, we're still going to have the kids and the youth as, as well. So uh, come try and be a part of that with us if you can. But Second uh, Corinthians 10, oh, I'll just read it off of that then. <clears throat> For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of of Christ. So Lord, we just thank you, God. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for your presence in this place today. And God, we just ask your blessing upon this message uh, and your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started talking about uh, what will uh, what will you build? And so the real recap of what we talked about last week is that we're all building something. We're all, whether we know it or not or like it or not, we're all building something uh, in, the, in the spirit uh, at all times. And we're either partnering uh, with God or we're partnering to build with the enemy. And we might not like to uh, accept that, but it's a fact. It's one or the other. You're building for the kingdom of God or you're building for the kingdom of, uh, of the enemy. And the thing about it is the enemy, we talked about how he doesn't actually build. We blame him for everything, but really all he does is supply the bricks. We're the ones who do the building and build these spiritual strongholds and fortresses in our lives with our, with our words and our thoughts and our, and our belief systems. And so he comes against us in those ways with speculations and thoughts and lofty things and, and all of that. And then we entertain those things and then brick by brick, uh, action by action, we build these spiritual fortresses uh, in our lives. And, uh, but Paul has told us that we have weapons that we just read about, weapons to tear these strongholds down, weapons to bring every thought into, into captivity, weapons that are spiritual, uh, spiritually powerful. And uh, we can change the way that we've been thinking and we can change 
uh, these these the outcomes that we've been experiencing because of these fortresses in our in our life, and uh, it's time for us to be who God has called us to be and to begin to build uh, with Holy Spirit. And the thing about this, when it comes to these strongholds or fortresses, whatever, however you want to talk about it, it's not always, we're not always talking about a lifestyle of sin. Right. We're not always talking about doing something that's completely against the Word of God. It's just that sometimes we get things, uh, we, we, we get things off a little bit in our thinking. And, and the, the enemy doesn't always come, he knows if he comes against you and just tries to tell you there is no God that you're going to, you're just going to throw that out. But what he begins to do is he begins to tell you that God's not satisfied with you. Right. Or that you're never going to please God. You're never going to measure up. All these different things. And, uh, for, and, and the way you believe about something is powerful because it's going to affect the way uh, what you experience in this walk with God. Uh, one of the best examples I know uh, to do is uh, people when it comes to living a holy lifestyle. Every person in here should know that you need to live a holy life set apart for God. But you get, the, the enemy knows that you know that too. You wouldn't be here on Sunday, learning uh, Sunday after Sunday, learning more and more and, and going after God if you didn't want that. So what he tries to do is he tries to pervert that thought life that you've got going on. And so you get this thing that happens where uh, we know that we should know that we've been given the righteousness of God. And so we live a holy lifestyle to protect that righteousness. Well, what the enemy does is he come and he plants some crazy religious thought in your mind that now you begin to live that holy lifestyle not to protect righteousness and the relationship you have with God, but you think you've got to live that holy lifestyle to produce righteousness. You're not supposed to produce righteousness. He already gave you his righteousness. You live that life, it protects the righteousness that God has given you. And it's the same thing. It's just one's relationship, one's religion, the enemy pollutes that and what happens is as as you you've seen people they live really as far as what we see with our eyes really holy lifestyles but there's no peace there's no joy there's no there's nothing that's supposed to really be the fruit of that and in many times it's because they're trying to produce something instead of protect something and it's just a little different way of looking at it it's not that they're a bad person it's just the same thing there's something there that the enemy has fed them the right bricks that they've built a way of thinking that needs to be torn down and needs to be built back up with the way the Holy Spirit intended it to be in our lives. And so that's what kind of brought us to the, the story of Nehemiah. And we talked about how that Nehemiah's name means comforter and he's a representation of the Holy Spirit with us when we build with God. And I think that that was one of my favorite points that you had made last week was when you were talking about being like a child and in our belief systems. And, and I think that, I don't know, I'm thinking about that more just because I'm surrounded <coughs> by all of these child things. But I mean, that's just really what we have to do is, is our heart's motivation is for the father. We want to be pleasing in his sight, but we don't have to constantly strive for his righteousness. He's already given that to us. What we are doing is trying to create the right thought processes and the right the right systems in place to where we get closer to him in our relationship with him and a lot of those other things that we are striving for will follow just because we're going after him and going after his presence and who he is um and that's the thing like what amber said if you want to see just pure just unadulterated worship look at a child and that's why he calls us to be like the children 
And um, going back to our story in Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the king. And when he heard about the condition of Jerusalem and that the walls and the gates in Jerusalem were broken down, he began to mourn. And he didn't just mourn. He mourned to the point where he wanted to do something about it. And I think sometimes that's where we stop. We feel badly about what's going on, but we don't feel badly enough to do something about it. And Nehemiah was so moved with compassion. He was before the king. He told him what was going on in Jerusalem. And the king, because of that, was moved moved to want to do something with him to help Nehemiah. And so he commissioned Nehemiah to go. He even sent letters with Nehemiah that would provide all of the supplies and the authority that Nehemiah would need to repair the walls. And just like Nehemiah would rebuild the walls and the gates around Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is so amazing and does the same thing in our lives if we let him. So we talked about last week how the temple was rebuilt. Jerusalem in there, the temple it, it was beautiful, but the walls were still broken down. And that's how it can be in our lives. When Jesus comes into our hearts, he rebuilds the temple of our hearts. But it's up to us to partner with him to rebuild the walls and those different frameworks and our thoughts to, to have that protected. So when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, the first thing that he did was assess the walls and assess the, the damage or the, the problem. And uh, the Holy Spirit works the same way in our lives. He helps us to assess the situation of our lives, the circumstances that we're in, and he reveals those areas that, uh, that may be broken down and in need of re repair. And uh, last week I, I made a couple statements talking about there being like a fine line between, um, sometimes with, with certain people, between uh, faith and fake. And uh, you know, sometimes we make statements um, and certain things that we call faith, and it's actually just being fake. It's actually not wanting to face a situation that is right there in front of you. Right. Now, there are those times in our lives that despite what all the facts may tell us, that we're called to take a stand and make a declaration of faith that may go against everything that makes complete sense, but that's not the same thing as just living a life in denial. Right. And so you get a lot of people, especially when it comes to these broken down areas in their lives, that they'll say, you know, they'll say stuff like, oh, I just don't want to talk about that because I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm going to be positive about everything, which I'm all for. But it's, and they'll say, because I'm believing God for a miracle and I believe God's going to do this and God's going to do this, uh, do that in this area of my life. But a lot of times the truth really is, is that's not faith at all. It's just a fear to face the obvious of what's going on and probably been going on in their life for, for decades maybe. See, when the Holy Spirit reveals something, we need to look at it. We need to look at it and we need to assess the situation, assess the damage or whatever it is. And, and any time that we can't look at the challenges in our lives without feeling discouraged, then we're living a life of denial and not a life of faith. Because when he reveals something, he, there's going to be encouragement that goes along with it. Denial is uh, the root of fear, not faith. And we know we don't want that in our lives. And what we have to remember is if the Holy Spirit is revealing something, it's because his intent is healing something. And we need to trust him. And, I mean, with fear, I was thinking about it this morning when I was getting ready. We have to remember there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And we know that the Father is love. So if perfect love casts out fear, he casts it from him. But if we keep fear close to us, that's going to keep us from being close to him because he casts it away. 
So that's the thing that we have to realize is that sometimes, like we talk about our motivation, when we have like fear of man, it's because we have a heart to do things right and to do things well. But whenever it goes into the territory of being afraid of failure or afraid that we're not going to measure up or afraid so we're constantly striving, that's when we know, again, we are partnering with the enemy instead of the Father. Because true faith evaluates the circumstance without growing helpless because it sees the world through God's eyes. He, he is love. He is faith. He, if we see like he does, then everything will look different. And just like Aaron often says, we have the right to be hopeless in any situation that God would be hopeless in. And we're his kids, so we shouldn't be ever be hopeless. And one of the wonderful traits of Nehemiah was that he was a realist, but in a way that he knew he had to assess the damage. He couldn't act like it was there, but he was assessing it not just to be critical. He was assessing it to do something about it. And just like Aaron said just a, a second ago, denial of our weakness is not faith. When we allow Holy Spirit to view our weaknesses, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to let him survey the damage, it is not going to be comfortable. Almost 100% of the time, it is going to be uncomfortable when Holy Spirit is surveying damage because that means something's going to change if we allow him to change it. But he will always leave us better than before. That's a promise. He will always leave you better than before. That's just who he is. Sometimes the inspection by Holy Spirit happens in the dark times, in the struggles, when we feel the weakest. You see, if you haven't read this part of the story, when Nehemiah went to survey the damage, he was surveying it at night. He went when there was no one around who could offer up excuses for the state of the wall. He went at night when he could see those nitty-gritty parts. And I feel like oftentimes when we are going through a struggle, when we're going through a dark time, when we're dealing with a sickness, when we're dealing with a, a loved one who we just, we just feel like they're too far out there for the Lord to save, sometimes we want to lose hope because it's dark. But oftentimes that's when Holy Spirit is going to do his greatest work. He's going to survey those parts in our walls and our belief systems, and he's going to show us what needs to be worked on because he's just that good. That's, I mean, I don't know that. That was like my favorite part of the story because it didn't make sense that he went to go survey the holes in the wall at night. If he really, in my mind, I would think that the best time to see it would be during the day. But he did it at night because at night is when no one was going to be around to offer up an excuse. Holy Spirit often does his deepest work in the dark times in our lives because we're just too tired to offer up excuses. We're just, we just don't have the strength to do it. We're just like, okay, do what you're going to do because I've reached the end. I've reached the point where I can't offer up any more excuses. But in those dark moments, we realize that our weakness is nothing compared to the strength he can offer. That's what's so good about him. I just love the fact about my God that he is such a good steward of all things that he can even use the dark moments, that he can even use the impossible because he wants to bring glory to himself in all things. Our weak walls that have been worn and broken down can be made strong, and they will be if we allow him to do his work in the power of his might. But we can't allow the seasons that we go through to let us sink into condemnation because that is not Holy Spirit. 
And if we allow ourselves to sink into this, we will be weaker than we were before. You see, sometimes we let Holy Spirit start his work, and then we start believing the lies of the enemy while, whenever he points something out, whenever Holy Spirit shows us something, and we start bullying ourselves into thinking less of ourselves instead of letting Holy Spirit do his work. You see, Holy Spirit convicts, the enemy condemns. We have to know the difference. We have to discern the difference between Holy Spirit searchlight, which going, is going to assess the damage done to our walls in order to rebuild us, and the accusations of the enemy that he's just going to point out our weaknesses, but they have no redemptive value whatsoever. Is there anyone here today that your life is perfect? You have no problems. You never make a mistake. There's none of us. Brian, put your hand down. <laughs> See, but the thing about it, so we all know that we have issues, we have struggles, we have things we need to work on, and it's only as we take responsibility for a problem that we can actually start to be part of the solution. And that's difficult in this day and time where everybody's a victim and it's never their fault. It doesn't matter how bad the action is that they do. It's always somebody else's fault. It's mom and dad's fault. It's the neighbor's (laughs) fault. It's somebody... it doesn't matter, even if whatever you're going through is for mostly, I guess I can't say all, but mostly someone else's fault, you're still responsible for the way that you react right. and the way that you handle it and the way that you move forward uh, with, the, with the kingdom principles that God has given us. So in, even if someone else has done something, you still have to take responsibility for your reaction, even if it's not for their action. And so as we take responsibility for things, that's when we can be part of the solution. But we have to know the difference between the Holy Spirit's assessment and the enemy's accusations. And so in the story of Nehemiah, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, hopefully I'm saying those names right, they symbolize the, the devil and his demons. And so you get to see exactly what happens with when we're trying to rebuild those things in our lives, when Holy Spirit's helping us, and the enemy comes with his accusations and his, con- and his condemnation. And so uh, they, the, the phrases are completely different. And so we can look at what Nehemiah says about the situation and see Holy Spirit's point of view. And we can look at Sanballat and Tobiah and see the enemy's point of view and the way that it works against us. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, <coughs> uh, verse 17 and 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So this is Nehemiah talking, which represents Holy Spirit, and God is always going to be honest with you. That's why some people don't want to talk to him very often. But in this scripture, he tells them, you see the bad situation we are in. He doesn't say, oh, this isn't that bad, guys. He tells them, says, we're in a bad situation. You see Jerusalem's desolate. The walls are burned down. The gates are destroyed by fire. All that. He tells them how bad it is. But then he goes right back and he's telling them how great God is. And because of that, there's encouragement. Even with facing the horrible situation, encouragement begins to rise. And it says, let us arise and build. That's what they said. They were ready to, to, to do something uh, about it. And now in Nehemiah chapter 4, we see the, 
representation of the enemy coming to you with what he thinks of the same exact situation that you're in. And so in uh, verse 1 through 3, it says this. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews, just like the enemy. He doesn't like it when we actually go after the abundant life Jesus promised. He says, He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. So everything, the same situation, but all they have is accusations. And it's even though many times we unfortunately choose to partner with the wrong builder, it's really easy to see the difference if we'll take the time to try. The enemy has no interest in seeing our walls rebuilt and restored and us living the way that God intended. That's why all he wants to do is remind us of our weaknesses and our problems, even if he has to make it up. And there's never any encouragement involved in it. There's never going to be any motivation. It's always the person, if, they're, if you're listening to the enemy, it's going to constantly be how bad everything is. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you may, you're going to have to acknowledge how bad everything is, but at the end, there's going to be an encouragement and a motivation to do something about it to make things better. And so I want to, I want to look real one more time closer to what they were saying here, and we'll see how the enemy is going to accuse us. The first thing is said, what are these feeble Jews doing? It's what the enemy does. The first thing he's going to do is attack your personhood. He's going to attack your identity as a son and a daughter of God. Who do you think you are? And then the second thing, he says, are they going to restore it for themselves? So now he's questioning their motives. You're not wanting to go after God because you want a better relationship with God. You're just wanting to impress somebody. You're just wanting to get a title at the church. You're just wanting, to, you're just wanting people to look at you. He, he, every one of us in here faced it. You want to do something for God, and when the enemy says he can't stop you from that, he starts to make you think you have the wrong motive. And so then he says... Can they offer sacrifices? So now he's trying to get them to doubt their relationship with God. That Are they in the right standing? Are they righteous enough? Have they prayed enough and fasted enough and done enough to be able to even try to do something for the kingdom of God? I'm pretty sure we've all faced that one. He says, can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? So the enemy tries to convince us that we don't have the ability and we don't have the resources to accomplish the mission that we've been given. And that's when we have to remember that when he's given us the mission, he'll give us the resources. He'll give us the ability. Even if it seems impossible, it's possible because he's asked us to do it. And then he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. So finally what he does is he attacks the quality of the work that we're doing and that we've been called to do. He tells us that it's not good enough. He tells us that it's an embarrassment. And he tells us that it's not making a difference and it won't last. You see, his schemes are still the same today as they've been for thousands of years. It's all the same. It's who he is and it's what he does. And so we talked about thoughts uh, last week and not one person asked me to drive them anywhere this week uh, after I talked about having crazy thoughts when you're driving across the bridge. <laughs> no, it, yeah, no one asked me to take them anywhere. But just like we talked about that last week, 
and uh, the questions that come in, and the enemy brings these accusations, they all fall on the same line. Just because they come against us doesn't mean that we have to entertain them. Doesn't mean that we have to accept them uh, and, and just call them our own. And the thing that we should all remember when it comes to the enemy and he's, he's trying to have these conversations with us is that, is that you should never talk with the enemy without your attorney present. And that's why we have Jesus as our advocate. We just, we let him handle it. It's what he said. It's what he's done that makes the difference. And everything that we do needs to be through Christ and in Christ. What is it that you say about feelings with being a horrible master? Feelings are good servants, but horrible masters. That's why we got to get out of our feelings so often. Right. I mean, and that's the thing is that no matter what we feel, the truth of the Lord's word always stands. And that's something we can always rely on. So in Zechariah 3, 1 through 4, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and you will clothe you with festal robes. So that's the thing, is that oftentimes whenever we are acting like we're less than, we've taken on the righteousness of Christ whenever we've asked him to be our Lord and Savior. And when we act like we're less than, like we need to strive, we're acting like his righteousness isn't enough. That's really the truth of the matter. We're saying that our striving for righteousness is more effective than the righteousness that he gave us himself. And if our righteousness is as filthy rags and we believe the word of the Lord, why would we ever try to take on our own robes and take off what he's given us as his righteousness? That's just the truth. And that's what we're talking about is changing the way that we think about what we're doing. Because no one would want to partner with that kind of declaration, but we do it. Almost sometimes daily we do it. And that's where we have to change the way that we think. The Lord's work in our lives is an open rebuke to the powers of darkness. This lets them know that when they mess with us, they're coming into dangerous territory because you cannot mess with God's chosen. And we are his chosen and we are his kids. I mean, every parent in here would take anybody to the mat for their kids. And, and the, best, the, the best father on earth is nothing compared to the Father in heaven. It's, and that just blows my mind, that he's mine. He's amazing. And when we allow ourselves to understand and believe we were made righteous by God's works and not our own, nothing that we can do, the truths of his grace override anything that the enemy could accuse us with. We would often find the accusations of the enemy to be laughable. We'd probably laugh in his face if we really had the right belief system about ourselves. There are so many wonderful things about the Father, but one of my favorite things about him is that he invites us to draw near with confidence. And we find this in Hebrews 4, 16. It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And when things get really bad, he just invites us to hide ourselves in him. And then we find this in Colossians 3 and 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's an amazing promise that we can have. 
So just visualize yourself right now thinking about the Father in heaven and on his throne. We generally have no trouble visualizing that. But imagine yourself climbing into his lap. That's where sometimes we struggle. We struggle to find ourselves worthy to sit in the Father's lap. But even now, my kids, they're 18 and 20. My living room, the couches can be completely open. But if I'm sitting in this one chair, oftentimes one of them will be up there beside me. There will be completely open spots. You'd have all the space you'd ever want, but they want to be right up beside me. That's how it is when you're a kid, when you, when you trust and you, you find yourself safe beside your, your parent. And I know some of us have not had that experience with our earthly father, but that does not mean that you cannot have it with your heavenly father. He longs for us to feel safe in his presence. We can do that with him. He says we can hide ourselves in him. We are invincible and safe when we're with him and under the shadow of his wings. We're safe. Nothing can harm us when we're there. One of the most important aspects of Nehemiah's story is when he enabled families to not go at war with each other, at each other, but with each other. In Nehemiah 4, 12 through 14, it says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brother, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You see, he knew that the best way to ensure that the walls were going to be fortified and secured was to keep the people within their families. Within families, we know each other's weaknesses, but we also know each other's strengths. We can have each other's backs, and we can link our arms together in the fight. We will be effective. No one fails alone, and no one is victorious alone. See, the best way to ensure victory for ourselves is to rely on Holy Spirit, but also to rely on community. And in this, Nehemiah was a genius. He wanted for the people to have the right perspective, and he wanted for them to realize the significance of functioning like a unit and how strong they were together. That's oftentimes something that, as the church, we've missed. We live like many islands within the same body, and we wonder why we feel so isolated. We wonder why there's constantly conflict, why we can never seem to have the same vision. But we were created for community and for family, and if we can grasp the significance of not only fighting for ourselves, but also for others, our walls will be impenetrable. Aaron and I got the idea for this message from a book by Chris Vallotton. And in the book, his son actually said after a really bad struggle in his own life, I've often found myself in circumstances that were too big for me, but I've never faced anything in life that was too big for my family. And that's a powerful statement, especially when we remember that we're part of the family of God. God is the head of our family. That's a, that's a safe and secure place to be. And when it comes to what we build with God, uh, Nehemiah found the same thing that we will find. The biggest hindrance that we're all going to face is fear. The fear of man, the fear of failure, the, and just the fear of the future for a lot of people. And, and fear is actually faith in the wrong God. It, it, just, it, it just is. It's another thing we don't like to talk about because we all face fear. But it's faith in the wrong God. And we'll, so when you put your faith in Jesus, um, it's, uh, it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to produce p 
peace and joy and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and and self-control and self-control. We need to use that one a lot for a lot of a lot of people forget about that one. But um, when our faith is not in Christ, it's going to produce fear, anxiety, and destruction. And we don't like to talk a lot about that because. There's a lot of destruction going on in, our, in the world, but there's a lot of destruction going on in the families in the church. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and things that people are facing, and I'm not trying to make light of that or put down, uh, put, uh, down on anyone about that because fear's a real thing. It's something that we all face, but it's also the most socially accepted sin in the church, and it's not right. Just because we're facing it doesn't mean it's right. He wants us to be free from all that. Why, why would, I don't even know how many times it is, but you can Google it. How many times is fear not in the Bible? Everybody, everybody's going to have fear, but it, the Bible says fear not. And so we got to quit accepting that and, and, and being so okay with it. Not that we, we bring shame on anyone that's facing it or having those things happen, but we need to realize when we're seeing those results that maybe we're building with the wrong builder. And that we need to try to change some things. And I don't have the answer for you to exactly tell you what to change if that's something that you're battling. But let the Holy Spirit assess that situation. Let Him look around the walls of your life and, and lead you in the, right, uh, in the right direction to produce the right things. And uh, someone's already say, thinking in their mind, oh, we all, we're all susceptible to fear. You're right. It's true. But just like with the crazy thoughts and the speculations and everything else, that doesn't mean that we should put up with it. And it sure doesn't mean that we should take ownership of it. it. We should call it for what it is. And before we pass fear off too easily, I want you to think about this. Now, this is a stretch. I'm going to go ahead and say that before I even give you this, this thought. I know this is a stretch, so show me a little bit of grace here. But if you think about King David, we know he committed adultery. To cover up the adultery, he committed murder. He did all these, these bad things. But God still didn't remove him from the throne. Now think about King Saul on the other hand. He did bad things too. But when he disobeyed God and the throne was taken from him, he did it out of fear. He was afraid of the people. He had a fear of man, a fear of the people that God had put him in charge to lead. And, uh, and so what happens is David committed this terrible, terrible sin I'm not trying to defend it. I'm not trying to compare the two sins. But I, what I want to point out is God didn't take the, kim, the kingdom from him, but Saul acting out of fear cost him the kingdom that was then given to a man who committed adultery and murder and didn't lose the kingdom. Fear's a big deal. That's, all, that's the only point. Don't read too much into that thing because I, I know it's a little crazy, but the only thing I want to do is show you how destructive operating out of fear can be. And that's why we have to quit accepting it, just because all of us face it. Nehemiah's answer to fear was to remember the Lord. Wonder what would happen the next time that fear come against us, instead of just, you know, what we like to do, we start rebuking the mess out of that fear, trying to get it gone, trying to do all the... What if you just quit thinking about the thing that had you so afraid and started thinking about how great God is? started focusing on him. And that's what, in chapter 4, verse 14, and I think I might be reading a different version than I gave Brian, it says, 
When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. See, when we meditate on the greatness and the awesomeness of God, our faith begins to rise and the fears begin to fade away. Does it mean that even if the situation hasn't changed, we don't have to operate out of fear? See, as we build with Holy Spirit, we need to remember how great God is and we need to remember who we are in Him. And so Sanballat and Tobiah, they keep trying their games. They keep sending these messages to Nehemiah, trying to intimidate him, trying to get him to doubt, and trying to get him to leave what he was doing and meet with them. And so Nehemiah's response was incredible. He, he sent a response back to them, and it said this. It said, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? So they sent him the messages four times. They're trying to get him, and he would not change his response. See, every time the enemy tried to distract him, he would remind himself that he was called to greatness. Right. He was called to complete a mission, and that's how we need to be. Every single person in here, I don't care who you are or where you're at, what phase of life it is, you've been called to greatness. God has great things in store for you and planned good works for you to do. We've already been talked about that a few weeks ago. See, instead of the enemy wearing Nehemiah down, he just kept becoming more confident. Because, see, he was focusing on the greatness of God and not on the fearful things that were around him at the time. Because at this time, the walls were still torn down. They could have been easily attacked. They could have probably been easily defeated if not for God. And so why would he focus on all that and not focus on the one thing that was going to get him through? And see, that's how it should be when we're building with God. We, we need to be reminding ourselves of how great God is and who we are in him. And so then in Nehemiah chapter 6, his enemies are still trying some stuff. So they've talked to this guy to get him to come and prophesy over him. And uh, he enters the house of Shemaiah, and this man starts to tell him how, you know, they need to meet in the house of God. Uh, they need to go close the doors behind them, and they, uh, they need to do it at night. Uh, I think, they, yeah, they need to do it at night because they need to go because the enemies are coming at night to attack him. And so Nehemiah's response now, uh, you know, this is a prophet. I don't know if you've ever had a prophet say something scary to you, but, but you talk about dealing with some fear. But he just gets more confident than ever before. He says, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then the next verse, it says, then I perceive that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. See, there's two things I want you to notice here. The first one is the confidence that Nehemiah was going in. We're not talking about being prideful or arrogant. We know that pride goes before a fall. But what Nehemiah was doing and what we're talking about is being confident in the Lord and in what God has done and in God's ability and his power to keep us and protect us. The second thing is that Nehemiah rebuked this man and then he perceived that what the man was saying was not from God. So just because someone says that they're speaking for God to you doesn't mean that they really are. It doesn't, you, you can't trust everything. 
you, you've got to remember that, the, what, that things have to line up with the word and also what God has been speaking to your spirit and not just take everything everybody says and, and run with it. Because it's sometimes as we stand on the word of God and we stand on the word that we've received from God that things begin to be revealed to us. You can't always trust everything everybody tells you. And see, it was when Nehemiah remembered God and he reassured himself of his identity in God, what God had called him to do. He refused to hide behind religion. The guy wanted him to come hide out in the temple. He wouldn't go to the temple. That's, that would be symbolic of hiding behind religion. He wouldn't do any of that. That's when he had the ability to discern that God did not inspire this message of negative declarations that this prophet was trying to speak over him and make over him. So I wonder how many people, how many of us at different times in our lives have been stopped right in the middle of something great we were building with God because of something that someone said about us or to us that we should have never even received. We let somebody else's words influence us more than keeping our focus on God and what he's called us to do. I don't know about you. I know it's happened to me before, and I don't want it to ever happen again. I don't want it to ever happen to any of you to, to experience that again if you have experienced it. I want to build something amazing with God, and I want to see it completed. And I know you all feel the same way. So we were watching a beach volleyball game uh, last night, and uh, one of the teams that was playing had guaranteed that they would win this tournament. So everyone, you know, there was a big hype about it because the last time that these players guaranteed that a win, they won Actually, the whole the, tournament. This was the fourth time they guaranteed it. The last three they, they won when they won. guaranteed it. And so, the last one that they won, they claimed that they celebrated the night before the championship game because they knew they were going to win. Because they it. knew they were going to win. <laughs> so they were playing. This was a do-or-die game last night because if they lost, they'd be out of the tournament. So the team that they were playing against – these, I mean, they were they were kicking butt. The the guy at the net, he was a younger player. He has not had kind of the experience of the team that he was playing against, and so they had, I think, gone on a four or five point swing. And the guy, the the guy at the net, he had jumped. He had just gotten a block, and you could see the guys on the other team. They started bantering at him, like they were trying to get into his head. They were saying things to him trying to shift the momentum back to them, which is like what these guys were trying to do to Nehemiah. They were just starting to just, to just run their mouths. But the guy, he did not say a word back to them. He just turned around and walked back to the he service line. Job. He did his job. Sometimes the enemy, when he knows the momentum is shifting away from him, He's going to start running his mouth. That's when, he, that's when he starts. He wants to get into our heads. He wants to change the way that we think because he feels like if he does that, it, the momentum's going to shift back in his direction. But when that guy turned around and walked away, the commentator said, that guy just did a veteran move. And instead of engaging with the other team, he didn't say a word. That's what we have to do. Sometimes the enemy is going to run his mouth. He is going, well, not sometimes. He's probably constantly running his mouth. But we have to know who we are. And sometimes we just have to turn around and not engage. Pull that veteran move and know who we are. And God wants us to build with him. 
That's the whole point of what we've been talking about the last couple Sundays, is that we are always going to partner with someone. We are always building something. Let's build with the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we've gotten into the wrong belief systems. That's okay. We can start to do things differently now. There's hope. There's hope for us. Even if we've been partnering with the enemy, God has given us the weapons to tear those spiritual fortresses down. His word, um, the, the Holy Spirit, his presence. I mean, worship in the word will do wonders if you're feeling um, like you're just, you need that extra help. So that's what we need to do. We have to start building with the king for the kingdom. Yeah. And um, kind of jumped in there. With that. I didn't know she was going with a <laughs> volleyball story today, but since she brought that up, <clears throat> so... Sometimes even, I, I think this message makes kind of practical sense. In my, in my mind, it does. Uh, but sometimes even when something does, it's kind of hard to know how to take that first step. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, oh, yeah, they lost the game. He did not come through on his uh, uh, saying that they were going to win, guaranteeing a win. Um, but, I, but her saying that made me think of this fact. We've been guaranteed a win. And not only have we been guaranteed a win, it's already been secured and taken care of. It's already been won. And uh, the person who gave us the, the guarantee, he's never wrong and he never lies. And so uh, what we want to close with, and I'm going to encourage you with, with that, is that if you, don't know what, if you don't know what step to take, while Holy Spirit is assessing the damage in your life, whatever shape that those walls are in is uh, a good first step is to do just like what those, those crazy knuckleheads did last week. It doesn't matter if you're not where the Holy Spirit is wanting you to be, where God is going to ultimately get you to. Go ahead and start celebrating now because right. the victory's already won yeah. and there's no reason to sit around and worry and let the enemy bring fear into a situation. Just remember, Holy Spirit is always going to bring encouragement along with the, the times that he's pointing out those areas in your life that need help. There's going to be a motivation to do better. There's going to be a motivation to, to fix those things and see difference happening. But if you don't know what step to take, I encourage you to go ahead and begin to worship God now for what's going to happen, for what he's promised and what he's guaranteed that we can, that we can count on. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you for your presence here today, God. And Lord, I just lift up all these requests to you, God. We pray for Ray. We pray for healing in his body, Lord. We pray for uh, favor with everything he's got going on, just overwhelming circumstances. We pray for Frankie, God. We pray for everything to go well with surgery, complete and total healing. Lord, we lift up Mona this morning, God, for whatever the need is, Lord, we know that you you love uh, her more than we do. God, that you have her her best interest at heart, Lord, and that you have a plan for her for greatness. God, I just pray for uh, my Aunt Eileen, Lord. We just speak healing to her body. Lord, uh, uh, we just pray that this cancer will be gone and that she had received the miracle she's been asking and believing for, God. And, Lord, I pray for uh, my Aunt Lou with the surgery she's got coming up, God. Lord, we just... Lord, there's so many things people are facing, God. And, Lord, you want to be a part of every part of our lives. And so we know you care, and we know you're there, God, and we just thank you for it. 
And God, we just celebrate the victory today, God. Lord, we've been given such an amazing guarantee. God, we've been given Holy Spirit, Lord, <laughs> as the guarantee for everything that Jesus has already done. And so, God, we just are so excited about what you're doing. We're so excited about the great things you have in store for this body of believers, God. And, Lord, we just give you praise. We pray for our children's revival starting tonight, God. Lord, we just pray, uh, thank you in advance for kids making decisions to, to, to choose you, to go after you, Lord. And we just thank you for everything that you're going to do. And we give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing. <laughs>